0: Hello and welcome to 20 Tim Minutes, a podcast that focuses on mental health in a serious but yet humorous way. Listen as I interview a wide variety of guests where we show our support as well as sharing our own personal struggles and stories with mental health. I am your host, Tim McCarthy, and now it's time to talk about it hey what's going on everybody you're tuning into another episode of 2010 minutes today we have on actress and host of the confessions of a wannabe it girl podcast the beautiful and lovely marley fry gang how are you
1: oh my gosh hi uh thank you so much for having me um how am i i'm awake
0: <laughs> yep yeah it's pretty early over there so where are you right now i'm in los angeles yeah other side of the world for me back you know, over here in boston so and i'm thank thank you for taking this interview early Oh, my gosh. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. Let's start with this. What does mental health mean to you?
1: What mental health means to me is definitely like part of what needs to be considered just general health. I think it's very much if you aren't doing okay in your noggin, then you're not a healthy person. And I think it's so interesting that mental health gets its own category. And I really just believe it should be part of the health overall category. Um, And mental health means to me personally, God, it, it probably should be tattooed on every part of my body because I feel like I think about mental health every single day. I think my mood has to do with my mental health. What I... Eat affects my mental health. How I work out affects my mental health. What I'm doing with my career would affect my mental health. So I kind of believe mental health is a tattoo
0: that should be everywhere on my body. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be a, that'd be an expensive tattoo. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's your relationship with mental health, though? Oh,
1: uh, my relationship with mental health. I mean, I think just like a lot of people later in life, you know, discover that there were things in their, in their past that might've affected their mental health down the road. Mental health means to me and where my mental health is at currently is, you know, really different from where it was, I want to say like five years ago, but my mental health has looked a lot like generalized anxiety disorder and undiagnosed from the time I was probably around 12 or 13 till I was 22. So I had no idea I was experiencing what is generalized anxiety. And, you know, at that time too, mental health was becoming a lot more of the mainstream conversation. So it also seemed like everybody started to have mental health. And yet at the same time, I never took care of it. I mean, to be fair, I was also a teenager who takes care of anything when they were a teenager, Yeah. but also, you know, then it was like, it feels like everyone has mental health issues, but then also like no one has mental health issues. So it was like a very weird time to be uncovering your own mental
0: health issues. Yeah. How was it handling that as a kid? So like, how was your upbringing with mental health?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I can't lie. I have absolutely amazing parents. However, I am the emotional sponge of the family. They are both very logical. Um, You know, my dad's like a mad scientist. My mom's an extremely organized, book smart person. And then here was this like emotional, dramatic, uh, you know, cries on the dime person. So it was like very, (laughs) um, they were kind of like, what do we do with this? And um, I was just like breaking down in the middle of a car. Um honestly I didn't deal with it. That's I think that's the whole point of it for me. Is I di- I just didn't. I thought this was life. That's how, you know, things are going to be uh, that life is this sensitive and, you know, getting a C in a class is is a reason to cry and have a panic attack in front of everyone and not care. That sh- that's normal. I really thought that that is how the world will continue to be seen. Um so yeah, I honestly didn't deal with it and on one level you know it's so interesting maybe this is like a reframed thinking but i'm like kind of grateful for it because i became very organized i became very determined and um that's been a positive of it however you know will i drive myself into a hole sometimes absolutely i deal with burnout all the freaking time. Um, I go through huge waves of burnout. And I think it's also important to note that I was definitely compensating for that. I was diagnosed dyslexic in the fourth grade. And so I was definitely trying to like make up for like the insecurity that I was feeling as being pointed out maybe as like being dumb or, you know, and who knows if that was actually being said Or if I just, you know, took it and ran, I definitely have that ability to think everyone is thinking about me and thinking about me negatively. And, you know, then I'd carry that weight with me. So, you know, I think that also really started to play a large part into my anxiety as well. So long winded answer. But yeah,
0: (laughs) I was I I didn't cry. I was always pumped when I got C's because I always say C's and D's get degrees. So they don't put GPAs on your diploma. So that's a good thing.
1: Yeah, they, they don't, but I, you know, I think it was the dyslexia thing. I was like, I I will not be dumb. Like I will not be dumb. So getting yeah. a C was like, oh, I'm, I'm the dumbest one here, you know? And I, it's so, I had it so backwards, you know, so many kids were like, I'm cool and I'm not going to get good grades. And like, who cares? I was like, being cool means you're really smart and you're at the top of the class and you're going to go to Yale and you're going to go to Harvard and it's going to be fucking great. Like yeah. that was where I lived. <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> Um, What is dyslexia and how would you describe it to somebody?
1: That's a great question. Dyslexia is, you know, it's kind of like mental health on some level. It's very different person to person. So it is a part of your brain that kind of transfers information differently. The classic example everybody thinks is, you know, like reading words and they're like spelled wrong and that's how your brain reads them that is not exactly how I experience dyslexia. I'm a horrible speller though. So like that is definitely affected by my dyslexia. Like I can't sound things out. Like I don't see the letter A, I don't, this isn't an example, but this is the example is I don't see the letter A and think like, ah, or like, uh, like I, that does not like those wires, they do not cross. So like I learned to read kind of like memorizing pictures. Like I know the word complicated is the word complicated because that's how it looks as a whole. Not because I can sound it out and not because like I can spell it. I mean, maybe I could sound it out. You know, I was tutored for a long time and given tips and tricks. Um, But yeah, for me, that's what it really looks like is that words sounded out don't come out the way they they're spelled or with the right pronunciation. Um, And then also like my spelling is kind of just not, not right. Like I'm close, but like, that's just not it. Like that's just not it at all. But yeah, dyslexia can look really different from person to person. You know, it's, it's the transfer of kind of numbers. So like, you know, another classic example is a six and a nine, very similar pattern, but you know, one's upside down and one's not. And like, that will totally happen to me too. It's like, if there's a number in um, a sequence, it's like three, six, three, um, you know, I'll write six, three, three, because like the sequence is just so close. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and like uh, I'm older now than obviously when you're trying to learn to read, it happens less and less, but the tireder I am the more or stressed i am the more anxiety i have the worse it will get it's like definitely affected all in the brain somehow unbeknownst to me but
0: <laughs> so you deal with general anxiety disorder gad how would you yes. describe anxiety to somebody
1: anxiety feels like you are on a roller coaster and you're climbing to the top and you're right about to drop like down the roller coaster, but you're just stuck there right about to drop the entire time, all the time, every single second of the day. And occasionally you'll get a little bit of relief. You know, maybe somebody comes out and they're like, we're going to help you get off the ride. You know, don't worry, hang tight. And then you're right back hanging off the cliff, just waiting for, you know, the the ball to drop. That's how I describe anxiety. It's like this weird It will just pop up whenever. But generalized anxiety, it does feel like it's kind of just always there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I deal with general anxiety disorder too. And I've I've learned to use it as an almost advantage or like, I always think of it as it's funny. It's gonna be funny later. I'm like, this is, I'm very anxious right now, but I'm gonna get through this and I'm gonna laugh about it later. Cause like, I'll I'll be walking in a store like Target. I'm like, is my fly down? Am I walking weird? Then I'll have like intrusive thoughts. I'm like, what happens if I just tickled this guy in front of me? So like, I try to like, I try to just like suppress it as much as I can, but then I get like just crazier and crazier.
1: Right. Well, that's so funny you say that because I, I meet a lot of people and you know, I'm a hyper person, probably a little bit because of the generalized anxiety. And they'll be like, Do you, you know, nicely, but do you have ADHD? And I'm like, No. I that's just my anxiety showing. It's just how hyper ahead I am. And like my brain is just going, going, going. The best way I describe it to people who have no clue what I'm talking about, which like, who are you, um, is, you know, when you open an iPhone and you're like, oh my God, I have like 8 million Safari browsers open. That's how my brain is thinking all the time. It's like, what's for lunch? Did I buy my mom a birthday present, even though it's in six months? Did it have a, like 8 million web searches just open all the time. And, you know, I've learned through the help of therapy and that we can close some of those browsers some of the time.
0: (laughs) That's fantastic. So do you go to therapy and would you recommend therapy?
1: Um, I'm still in therapy, baby. Um, (laughs) We live for therapy. I've been in therapy since 2017, 2016, 2016 or 2017. I recommend therapy to everyone and everyone, even if you can only make it one session, uh, because I do think Finding the right therapist is very much a dating game. You just have to keep trying until you find the right person. And I really lucked out. I mean, it was a referral. So like I I was shooting a good shot that I was going to like this person. But yeah, you know, I highly recommend therapy. I think everyone should go to therapy uh, for at least a stint of time, because even the people who are like, I don't have any issues. I'm like, the fact that you don't have any issue might be an issue.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, tell us about the podcast a little bit, The Confessions of a Wannabe It Girl podcast.
1: Yes. So I grew up in New Mexico, which is very different than Los Angeles on many levels. And when I moved to LA as an 18-year-old dealing with a generalized anxiety disorder, I didn't realize that people were like really that rich or like really that famous or like really that skinny. And then you move to LA and it's like, Everything they told you was just photoshopped and not real. Like, it felt like I was like, I've been lied to. Like, it's real. Um, And it really shook me mentally, you know, at the same time that social media was not rising, it was risen. Like, and it was very much a part of my college experience. I really started to struggle feeling, I call it the compare and despair scroll, just that I was so out. I was not in... At all and even though maybe I was closer than I thought, I it doesn't matter because I felt out. So that's where the name "Confessions of a Wanna Be It Girl" came to be because I started to realize, kind of, everybody has that. Even you know, when I had graduated, I was working with an actress, and she's had a lot of great work. And she was telling me when she was starting out, she was standing in which is when you like follow an actress uh on a set and they they'll test the lighting on you and whatnot you probably look similar to the actress so that the the true celebrity whatnot doesn't have to stand there while they're setting up the shot Uh, she was following a very probably one of the biggest actresses to this date and you know she was she got to be somewhat close to her And she remembered listening to her talk in the makeup chair about how she was so upset because, you know, she was invited to the Oscars, but she wasn't invited to an after party. And it's like, it never fucking ends. It doesn't matter who you are. You're never going to feel like you're enough. You're never going to think you're it enough. Like, you could literally probably be one of the top billing actresses in the world, and you're still going to feel this. And I was like, wow. Wow. That's a hard pill to swallow. But the truth is everyone's experiencing it. So that's what I talk a lot about on Confessions of a Wanna Be It Girl is chasing your dreams with more confidence, clarity, and direction because we all feel that way on some level, that we are chasing it and we're not it. And how do you feel it in the moment and whatnot?
0: Yeah. How was it? What was like the biggest culture shock moving to LA?
1: Honestly, for me, it was that people were really that skinny like that people were that fit because i really was like a great kid in school they showed up the examples of people and they were like this is all photoshopped this life is fake and then i showed up here and i was like what <laughs> like this is not fake people work out every 5 seconds they're obsessed with juice um and i I'm, I'm sounding like i'm shitting on it no 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 i'm totally right. into it too now like that's another thing is confessions of a wanna be it girl is we're not getting rid of social media. We're figuring out how to have mentally healthy boundaries with it because we're all addicted. Yeah. Um, so like, yes, I sound like I'm shitting on the fitness vibe of being in LA, but I also completely love it. Um, now. But yeah, it was
0: that was the biggest shock for me, is really that people were like actually looked like that in real life. <laughs> right, right. Uh as a fellow podcaster, what are some struggles you face with podcasting?
1: This is gonna be the stupidest answer, mm-hmm. but I hate recording intros. I hate them. I will put them off to the last second. And the funniest thing is when you listen to a podcast, you think that little sniblet right at the beginning, you're like, that was great. That was so easy. Oh my God. I'm so excited to listen to that episode. Literally, do you not see me sitting here at this table wanting to cry every time because it's just you and you're like, I have 40 seconds to intro this episode and I sound like so dumb, <laughs> like and I do it for like an hour and I will leave it till the absolute last second. So that is a very small thing that um I really don't love about podcasting.
0: Oh, you're better than me because I'm super lazy. I have the same exact intro for each one. I think the one that I hate the most is doing show notes.
1: Oh, chat GVT, baby. <laughs> oh, really. I'm going to change your life right now. Yeah. I mean, I don't like doing it either. Yeah, I'll chat, GBT them, and then I'll put them more
0: in my voice. <laughs> wow, that's very yeah. interesting. I haven't used that yet. I know that's like hot in the streets right now.
1: For a dyslexic girl who doesn't like to write and can often not spell things, it's a godsend.
0: <laughs> right, right. So you yeah. use social media as your platform. What are some pros and cons when it comes to social media and someone's well-being? Because sometimes it can be good and sometimes it can be terrible. Okay, let's start with the bad. Yeah. (laughs) The
1: bad of being, using social media. And, you know, I think this is a really smart point I'm bringing up is, you know, we think that only the people who are addicted are the people who consume content because, you know, they're the ones who are scrolling and liking and feeling all the negative compare and despair because, you know, they're seeing somebody's beautiful life. Well, I hate to break it to you. You're comparing your their online life to your offline life. So like, yes, you're going to feel something weird because you're seeing a very produced content. Even TikTok, which is much more pushed for the authentic, you're seeing still a produced thing, but your life is still offline. So it's like comparing, you know, an apple to an orange. Yes, they're both fruit, but they're kind of different. Wait until you try to become a content creator and suddenly you are an apple comparing your apple to someone else's apple and you have less likes, less views, less followers. That's another slap in the face. And then you know, that's something I'm really struggling with social media. This is the first time I've talked about it is posting a lot more and dealing with oh, I'm I'm not getting as much traction as blah blah blah. And you're just as addicted looking for the likes, the views, whatnot, because now I'm checking the app all the time to see how I'm doing, which is so narcissistic and God knows how it's affecting my mental health. Me and my therapist are working on it. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, that's, that's the bad is that there's always going to be these metrics that we are going to compare ourselves with. That for me has been the part that has been the hardest to digest about social media, being somebody who wants to make content on social media and being somebody who consumes content is that these metrics can make you feel like shit.
0: <laughs> yeah. Why is it so hard to not compare ourselves to others?
1: Uh, I think it's the idea of grass is always greener on the other side that you, they th- you think that something they have about their life is you know living more to the fullest. I think I'm somebody who you know, when we were growing up, when they gave us bumper stickers of like, you know, never miss an opportunity like that, those really stuck with me. And so I think it's for me that it looks like somebody is living a fuller, richer life than I am. And, you know, I'm terrified. This is a very anxious approach to. I'm terrified that I'm going to my grave, not have living a full life that I'm seeing other people live a fuller life. I think that's where the compare comes from, at least for me. And maybe there's an inch of that for other people too.
0: How do you personally overcome burnout? Because I think all podcasters deal with burnout and you probably deal with burnout in everyday life. But how how do you uh, overcome that?
1: <laughs> I don't think I do. I think I just have enough anxiety on some level that I push through it. Like I will, I've learned to take hard time off now. And I did have a director tell me this during COVID, you know, he was doing a live and I asked the question and it wasn't like a one-on-one meeting or anything. Don't want to give you a false impression. But, you know, I said, how do you deal with burnout? And he was like, yeah, that's a really hard question. He, he was basically like, I don't, but what I do do is like I go so, so hard when I have to, I grind, I hustle, blah, blah, blah. And then when I get the chance I go cold turkey off, you know, phone off, vacation, day off. And for me, that's that's kind of naturally how I work. I'm trying to make that more of I get to take breaks throughout the day or, you know, in a week, a good friend of mine, she's like, you just need to have an opposite day. You know, it's just when you blow off the to-do list or, you know, you you do the bare minimum if that's I just go to work today and I don't do any of the extra things that's okay. I think it's giving yourself that hard time off.
0: So perfect segue. Self-care is so important. What does self-care look like for you? What do you, what do you do for yourself?
1: Well, you know, I have to say, you know, being, I'm in my late twenties now, I definitely go out less and less, which has been huge for me uh, because the anxiety and whatnot really kills me. Um, At the same time, now I am not hungover on most Sundays and I end up doing things and becoming more anxious. So <laughs> to each their own, but self-care looks like for me, really trying to just get out of the house and doing a workout or working at a coffee shop, being other around other people. I mean, I am 100% an extrovert. I get my energy by being around other people. So I know that about myself. So even if I'm not conversing or hanging out with other people, I just have to be out in the world. So that is a form of self-care for me is just like alone time. I live for being in my car. I will throw on a YouTube like meditation and I'm driving, I'm not closing my eyes. And I'm just like trying to deep breathe self-care to me looks like however you can fit it in whenever you can fit it in. I don't think there's any
0: rules about it
1: and cleaning. I'm a chronic cleaner, not, not in the way like I'll scrub a toilet. I like to reorganize everything though.
0: (laughs) We're very similar. I love organizing. I'm the organizer in the family and do you do this? I feel like I do this a lot. I just listen to the same songs over and over on Spotify. Yes. It doesn't it, it does on repeat playlist, and I just listen to that every day.
1: That is my boyfriend cannot stand it because he's like, oh, it's the same six Marley songs. And I'm like, they make me fucking happy. Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> and I judge myself sometimes. I'm like, man, I'm listening to the same songs. I'm like, wait, why do I care? Like, this is like, no, no one one's judging me.
1: I do the same shit. I live for the, there's like
0: live for the same songs. (laughs) Oh yeah. It's awesome. Um, I deal with this very much when it comes to mental health. Do you ever suffer from imposter syndrome?
1: Uh, Every fucking day. Yeah. (laughs) Like what day do you not? Um, I'm maybe it's just the headspace I'm in today. And weirdly enough, I've been struggling a lot with it this week, but like, I just don't fucking care. Like I'm like, I have imposter syndrome. Okay, cool like i do have it i have it as an actor because i'm like oh i'm an actor and everyone's like well what have you been in and i'm like not at the the short films that you you haven't seen but i'm a fucking actor and i know i'm good and like i I don't need to justify it to you so i'm like yep that's yep cool Mm -hmm." like it's just you shake it off even though i'm freaking out internally no one cares. No one needs to know. I, it's like my dirty little
0: secret that I have imposter syndrome or something. You seem like such a confident person. Great segue, by the way. How does one build confidence? And what are some strategies you would suggest? Lie. <laughs> Just lie to yourself.
1: <laughs> lie to yourself. I mean, I'm I'm joking, but I am an ounce serious too. I think, I mean, I've been really lucky that I have never super struggled socially. Um, you know, socially confident. I've always maybe had, have I struggled really so much in the performance career? Yes. I had a huge mental breakdown my senior year of college. I was a dance major and I had such bad performance anxiety that I pretty much quit dancing. um, Long story short, but dealing confidence is I'm a huge believer of fake it till you make it. And I think a lot of people think fake it till you make it. You already have to have the confidence to go get that thing, and I don't think that's true. I think fake it till you make it means you don't have that confidence, and you are actively pretending until one day you wake up and and you do have it. And you know, I do stupid shit to build my confidence. Right now, I wake up every morning and I literally say, "I'm a successful actor and podcaster." Like it feels. I can't even believe I just admitted that. I I'm shook because when I started doing that at the beginning beginning of the year, I was like, this is so dumb. Like this is the dumbest shit in the entire world. And I would sit like whisper it to myself. I live with my boyfriend. And now the first thing I do when we wake up is like, I look at him and I say it like it's wild. But again, I'm faking it till I make it. It's just like delusional that I believe it, but that's part of it is just being like, yeah, I get one shot. I'm I'm going to go for it. That was something else I told myself when I when I quit dancing and was anxious about it. And it's kind of a harsh mentality, so it's definitely not for everyone. But like I would be like what is worse? Going into this dance audition and completely fucking up and feeling horrible about it or going in acting like I know exactly what I'm mean, doing and then not getting it and feeling horrible. Either way, <laughs> I'm gonna feel horrible, so let's at least do the confidence one, so I feel a little less knocked down at the
0: end of it. Uh, we talked about your boyfriend. Is he a good support system for you with mental health? And who was? Oh more, my god, he's the person more, who. Who are oh, some other people? No, who are some other people too that help with your support system after that? I
1: give a huge credit to my boyfriend. My boyfriend was had been in therapy since he was a kid, and you know I probably had needed to be pushed into therapy, uh, but I kept being like, everyone has mental health. It's fine. Um, you know, he's the one who gave me the referral for the therapist. It was his therapist who was friends with my therapist and whatnot. And he's been a massive support through my mental health journey. Um, you know, at first I was scared to tell my friends, you know, I'm starting therapy, I'm going through this and and whatnot. But then it started to to come out through the woodworks. And, you know, I have to say I have amazing friends that I mean, in college, especially after dealing kind of with like a narcissist, best friend in high school, they were so supportive. But also, I want to say that, you know, I made the decision to go on anxiety medication, not not with a negative reaction from my parents, but they just weren't the biggest supporters of any type of medication. So, you know, who's supported me through my mental health journey on some level is me. Like I supported myself. Like I was like, nope. I really want to take these meds. I'm super anxious, and it's changed my fucking life. And I did that decision at 22, kind of on my own, to lightly supported. It. it was one of like the first decisions I really made for my own health on my own. So like, I've had amazing support systems and my boyfriends, my college friends, my parents,
0: but like, I supported me too. Yeah. Don't forget people out there. You're the most important person in your own life. You got to take care yes. of yourself. Now, another great, so you're killing it with these segues for me. Um, I was going to ask, you ever deal with negative people when it comes to mental health? And so you said <laughs> your friend was a narcissist. How would you describe that to people? What is that?
1: A narcissist to me, I mean, and if she is or isn't, who knows? I'm i am not, you know, and this right. is all from my perspective, but toxic, <sighs> Toxic people. Yeah. You know, I feel like the biggest sign or red flag that you are dealing with them is when you are going through a hardship or something that is, you know, weighing on you as a being and your heart and your soul. And somehow that situation still becomes about them. That's when it's like, huh, it's really interesting. This is not an even to even friendship. This is a, uh, a little bit of me tip of the scale and then a lot of you tip of the scale. And that's where it starts to feel maybe this isn't a good thing. Also, I noticed, actually, I didn't notice. My best friend noticed. My best friend now noticed this. She was like, you know, whenever you bring blah, blah, blah around, you do this thing. You kind of gather everyone or like, you know, when we're all together at your lunch, you're like, by the way. Blah 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 is coming to the town. She's a little da-da-da. And she's a little da, but don't worry. She's my best friend. When you are giving a warning label for the people that you're supposed to be closest in, you know internally something is off with your relationship or something. And that's like a huge sign to yourself and the people around you that something in this is
0: just not a good fit. Oh, hundred percent. Um how can we help break the stigma about, around mental health? I know we have podcasts like mine and yours, but how how can we help break the stigma?
1: I think honestly, make it cool. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like make mental health cool, and I think it, it, we're we're on the way there. But like, I think mental health is not the defining factor of anyone. I mean, it's not the it's not the single tattoo I'd have on my body, but it's one of them. And you know, I'm very casual about it. I'm very open about it. And I think if that's just like, it's a cool part of me. I have positives, just like I think you do being clean, being organized from having anxiety. It's a cool thing. I don't know. I think that's really how we break the stigma of mental health. And also, you know, it's not something that comes at any age or any time and whatnot. And, you know, there's gifts and things we learn from it too. So like, what's the point of holding back about what it it is? I mean, sure, we all be open about it, but like just make it cool. Like, I would buy a T-shirt that says "I'm an anxiety girly." Like, I don't care.
0: <laughs> yeah, we uh, we got dealt the cards that we got dealt with, and we just got to play the game, or we just got to bluff our way through it. Yeah, like who cares? <laughs> what are some words of wisdom you would give someone who is out there struggling and looking for help?
1: Mm. I think. Asking yourself first, well, do I want to continue living this way or do I want to make the change? You know, and and really asking yourself, like, is the way I'm living sustainable? Is this going to lead to the life I want or do I want to make a change? And that's, you know, really where I think you can start to seep out what kind of assistance or support you need because once you really truly realize that this life, the way it's looking or the way it's heading isn't going to fulfill your your dreams or just even your opportunities that you want to get, help will kind of start to become clear what shape and form it needs to be. You know, get into therapy, talk to a mentor, a parent, a, a godparent, a friend, because someone knows at least someone who knows someone who went through something similar. It's like, not that unique on some level, like someone else in your greater circle has gone through something. And it does take a little bit of sharing and just pick and choose wisely, but,
0: but don't be scared to open up. Let's wrap up with a couple more questions. Where can everyone find the podcast and why should they tune into confessions of a want to be It girl?
1: Um, you can find the podcast pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, it's confessions of a wanna be a girl. Why you should listen to the podcast. You know, we I we talk about these things just as they're part of life, just like how you do. And, you know, we talk about things like perfectionism and why that's a toxic trait, but yet we love it. We talk about self-criticism and self-love, but we also talk about things like. I'm doing the Coachella episodes right now. And we are not denying the reality of like, let's be clinical and um love ourselves and stop using social media. No, like we're gonna fucking use it. So let's learn how to do the balance. That's yeah. very much the reality I
0: live in. <laughs> <laughs> Where can everyone find you on the internets?
1: Sure. So the podcast um Instagram is confessions of a wanna be it girl and the TikTok, because confessions is too long for TikTok is Wannabe It Girl Podcast. And then if you want to see more of my acting, that's Marley Rose Fragging. And Fragging is spelled F-R-E-Y-G-A-N-G. And Marley spelled like the dog or Bob.
0: (laughs) Bob Marley. Um, Yep. So I always like asking people this question. What is your personal theme song? Like you come out to the arena or like you're driving in your car and it's like a movie, you're acting in a movie and it's like what song's being played when it's like the opening credits and they show you.
1: Yes. So it, we're going back to the six songs that are on my playlist. Yeah. Um, it, it either you know it or you don't. It's called Body by Loud Luxury. Um, it's, you know, a very like housey but positive um EDM song, but it's not like, rah, 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 like right. a lot of, but we assume EDM. It's just like a really happy song. And I listen to it probably every day and it never gets old. So it would be that song.
0: It sounds similar to my song. It's a Dylan Francis song, Reaching Out. I love listening to that song all the time. So that's like a type of like EDM type song where it's like, it's kind of more smooth than the wah, 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 wah.
1: Yeah. Is it like a tropical housey vibe? Cause that's kind of where I live.
0: Yes. Yes. It's definitely, it's definitely got that vibe. We'll definitely exchange those songs and uh, I'll add it to my repeat list. So I get it right, right. The first time on it. Um, What are some, what are three things that you're grateful for today?
1: Three things, coffee, grateful for coffee. Um, it sounds like a little cheesy, but that the weather is shining in LA, it does a lot for just the mood and positivity. Um, and you know, I'm just really grateful to be having like a present morning, you know, it's start small. Sometimes I can be heads in the clouds. So, you know what? I woke up today in a good mood. I had a lovely conversation with you, Tim, and I'm just really happy to be present.
0: Marley, you are doing such great things with the podcast. You're such a great human. You 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 exuberate such a positivity that I absolutely love. I'm glad that we made friendship, and I wish nothing but the best for you.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Tim. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Marley Frygang, thank you so much for coming on the show. Be sure to go listen to Confessions of a Wannabe It Girl podcast. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Marley. Thank you for having me again. <laughs> That's another episode of 2010 Minutes. Let's break the stigma by cracking a smile. I will see you guys soon.